And so I just said to her, look, what's your hesitation? And I think that's a good question. It's, it's an open-ended question and it allows you to find out, you know, what they're thinking, what's holding them back and try and get some, some answers. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, listener, and welcome to this episode of the Property Developer Podcast, a show dedicated to inspiring property developers to take their business to the next level. Before we get into our guest, I've got a quick project update on our 20 townhouse development in Muralbark. In a previous episode, I mentioned how I needed to get a boundary re-establishment survey redone just before Christmas, which was going to be a challenge because the surveyor was so busy. Happily, I did manage to get the surveyor to help me out and get the survey done just in time for the bore pier retaining wall to be started. Since then, we've almost finished the heavy excavation and the guys will be back in the next few days to shotcrete the face of the retaining wall and the drainer will start on the drainage set out. Once that is done, they will start pouring the foundations, which will be really exciting. On to today's guest, real estate agent Sam Gaiman, a director from Chisholm and Gaiman Property. Sam operates mainly in the Bayside area of Melbourne and is based in Elwood. Sam actually sold my wife her first property, an apartment in Elwood, and has become a good friend of ours. Sam is a very successful agent, one of Melbourne's best auctioneers, and has been selling projects off the plan for the past few years. I thought it would be interesting to hear an agent's perspective on selling off the plan, and also probe for some ideas on ways you can market your next project. We cover quite a bit of ground, and Sam shares a couple of amazing things they have done to generate interest, which you could do in your own way. And we discuss how you can stand out from the crowd when you come to sell your next development. I started off by asking Sam, what food could he eat until he was sick? <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> I should have guessed that one myself. <laughs> <laughs> Undoubtedly, yeah. <laughs> With pretty much any topping except for seafood. Oh, yeah. Makes you a bit crook. I just don't like uh, mixed seafood on a pizza. Yeah. Oh, no. no. I always have to avoid muscles because seafood <laughs> okay. makes me sick. Yeah. All right, Sam, tell us a little bit about how you became an agent, uh, where you work, what you do. Yeah, sure. So, I became an agent 15 years ago. Uh, it's Well, I'm four generations in real estate, so it has been something that's um, very much intrinsic to my family history and you know I've grown up around real estate when I was a young um, very young boy I used to be the person who rang the bell at the auctions uh, when my grandfather was going to do an auction and not that I remember that very well but I also had my own um, office in within dad's office when I was when I was about five Uh, I had my own business cards I had a name on the desk um, and used to go after school and so it's been, it's been probably something that, uh, you know, I've had a very keen interest in. And on top of that, you know, I love the architecture side of things and the property, but I very much thought I'd go to university, see what I was um, interested in, wasn't sure if I'd do real estate, studied a Bachelor of Arts um, in archaeology, anthropology, and then um, I was approached one day as I was working in a cafe in between jobs. Um, I'd been working as a professional writer, copywriter, and then uh, I was approached by Torsten Casper, who's the managing director of uh, our firm, Chisholm & Gaiman, 
And he bought the business at that time from my father. And he said, look, you're great with people. You'd be a good auctioneer. Uh, why don't you give real estate a go? And I, I think I probably resisted it a little bit because it seemed like a boring career path to just follow in dad's footsteps. Uh, and also there was a big you know, commit work commitment um, in terms of hours and weekends. So I wasn't sure if that was the, the direction I wanted to take. And yeah, jumped into real estate and loved every minute of it. Um, it's been something that's, you know, I'm really passionate about, love the clients, love the interaction. And interestingly, uh, you know, no two days have really been the same. Um, you know, whether it's a different negotiation, a different property, you know, there's some challenging aspects to working out what a property might be worth. So, you know, there have been all these, uh, you know, fun surprises along the way, sort of keep you energised. And in particular, um, recently, uh, probably only in the last uh, year and a half, uh, you know, I've grown into selling a number of off-the-plan properties. So, you know, that's one of those things. You keep reinventing yourself in real estate and, you know, you're learning things all the time. And it's been, you know, really exciting career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're certainly one of the best auctioneers around Victoria or around Melbourne. So, and you've uh, been recognised for that. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and that's the other surprising aspect of real estate is that it's not always, um, you know, we always talk about logical and emotional. And when, you know, real estate has all these different factors that come into play that are very hard to predict. It's completely unpredictable. Um, you can do your best uh, and, you know, uh, you know, sometimes things do go to plan, but then there's there's other times when emotion kicks in for a purchaser, and you know if there's scarcity of stock, if it's a particular location, quality, you, you don't know what those drivers are. Those emotional drivers. Um, necessity is another one. You know, if somebody's sold something and they need to purchase really quickly. You know, you just don't know what the what creates desire. That's why you can never have a fixed mindset in real estate. Yeah, you've just always got to have an open mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you've had a really rich and successful history with selling existing stock, but certainly in the last couple of years, you've really started um, doing quite well with off-the-plan sales. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of some of the projects that you've been involved with? Yeah, sure. So the probably the, the, the launching pad, if you like, for my career was getting involved in a, a project called Elwood House. It's located at number two Pine Avenue in Elwood. It's a site that I've had an incredible connection with. Um, it used to be the RSL in Elwood, and it's a 1,400-metre site that is shaped um, in an L shape. It has a 20-metre um, commercial frontage. It used to be the RSL with a car park behind, and when I was at university, um, it was one of my first jobs, was working behind the bar, pouring beers. And then, you know, some uh, 12 years Later, I, I had the opportunity to sell that site for $6.275 million. And so I never thought when I was pouring beers I'd be selling that building. But, uh, but as, as history turned out, I did. And then from there, the developer really liked, uh, you know, our connection to Elwood Village. We've, we've been in Elwood Village as a business since the early 1980s. Um, and, you know, I, I live locally and, you know, most of my business is repeat or referral within that community. And Elwood is an interesting place because, and Justin, you'd know because you've lived in Elwood um, previously, but, and you, you, you know, you've got a connection with Elwood. 
that it's very friendly. People know one another, um, you know, and I think you, you would attest to that experience as well. Yeah. I also know that the RSL used to serve Melbourne's 11th best Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> Number 11. <laughs> it was a good Palmer. That's a really good Palmer. Yeah. Um, I missed that Palmer. And, uh, so from there, we, um, we were lucky enough to be entrusted by the Piccolo Group to be given the opportunity to sell the project. But what was so exciting about that particular project is that it's created benchmark pricing uh, within Elwood and in some cases within City of Port Phillip and Bayside. Uh, so it, it achieved some incredible heights. It proved to the market that there was a desire and a need for a boutique luxury product. Um, and that people would pay for that product, and that along that journey we were able to be involved or invited to be involved by Piccolo Group into all of the marketing discussions from the naming of the building right through to, um, you know, an analysis of floor plans uh, through to pricing um, and then into marketing strategy. And that's something that's evolved all the way along that project uh, there's um, 31 apartments. We've, um, you know, we've sold, nearly completely sold out the building. And from there, that was a real launching pad into a, a few other developments. We sold a site off market in Ripponlea, uh, number 118 Brighton Road, uh, Ripponlea. The building was named Platinum 118. Uh, that was 11 apartments. We sold that out in a space of three months which was highly successful. Uh, we achieved great square metre rates there as well. And then we also uh, springboarded into another project by the same developer, um, which was a really interesting case study, and that's called Wilton. That's in Wilton Grove in Elwood. It's a beautiful cul-de-sac, leafy cul-de-sac near the beach, and it's a project of only eight apartments, um, of which two were in an old house at the front, and then a brand new building at the at the rear, um, which was six apartments. We inherited that building from another agency that had an exclusive on that um, for the first, I think, uh, four months. They didn't sell one property in four months. We sold out in four months. So that was a very successful project for us as well. Uh, we've then um, moved on to another building, which is a, um, a building by low construction, uh, it's number 1A Rothsay Avenue in Elwood. It's a boutique development of 10, and we've been achieving exceptional square metre rates there, roughly 12,500 12 per square metre for two-bedroom apartments with one car space, and they're all designed for owner-occupiers. Uh, and then we've moved on to another building on Tennyson Street as well, number 114 Tennyson Street in Elwood, and we're about to launch a project uh, that just sold. It was the old motel site in um, Elwood on Ormond Esplanade, number 47 Ormond Esplanade, um, and that was purchased for roughly $6 million with a permit for 23 apartments. And we've actually, in conjunction with the developer, we've sat down and redesigned the building, still incorporating the same architect that did the permit, uh, but we've actually decreased the number of apartments and made them larger to suit owner-occupiers. Um, and that, yes, in turn means the prices and the square metre rates are likely to go up, um, but we've seen that market is proven and tested in Elwood and is, is 
you know, is very is likely to sell extremely well. Um, it's also beachfront, so it's pretty exciting. So there's there's all this flow on um, of different projects that we've um, been involved with. Uh, we're also involved with one in Brighton, 30 Esplanade Brighton, but that's that's already established. Uh, however, there um, so there's uh, there's six townhouses that we've launched as brand new, and then we'll be releasing apartments to the market, um, which are waterfront apartments, and they'll be off the plan. And how much input into the floor plans would you have? It very much depends on which stage of the project we get involved. When we inherited Wilton Grove, as an example, we were really given marketing that was already in place. The permit, the site was bought with a permit. The developer wanted to be in and out really quickly. And as a result, he decided to not make any major amendments to the plans. What we did is we had a look and, and really looked at the marketing and changed a number of things. But with something like um, Elwood House, with Rothsay Avenue, we sat down with the developer at the early stage and considered every floor plan. We've had a look to see, are they tailored to the right market? Is there a, is there a strong buy group for, for these apartments? Is there something that the market responds to that they're, that they're looking for that, that needs to be incorporated? And if we're dealing with, um, you know, owner-occupiers, you know, we tend to find, you know, if you've got great outdoor areas, there are little things that we've um, made sure that have been added. For example, in most cases, people want an island bench in the kitchen. Um, we've made sure that there are taps on the balconies. Um, we've made sure that there's gas points on the balcony so that the owner-occupiers aren't having to drag gas bottles up a lift. We've made sure that there's a storage element. Um, we've incorporated, um, you know, where possible, uh, we've incorporated awnings for an outdoor area. Um, you know, we've made sure that, that there's a particular level of finish in the expectation um, and one of the small things you get with owner-occupiers is that they tend to want a wider oven. And so those, those little details, um, you know, being able to tailor something in a floor plan uh, and, and having a look to make sure that bedroom sizes are big enough, um, you know, where the bathroom's located and, and you know, and is, is there an efficiency in the floor plan. So... It's all very important, and in most cases, um, the best developments and the most successful ones are where the agent is involved early because we're at the coalface and we know what people want. Um, you know, there's a consistency often in what those, these people are asking for. And the added, added benefit of that is that the agents are fully engaged from the beginning and they're able to buy into that vision and then on-sell that to potential buyers. Yeah, well, I think that makes all the difference. Um, the more ownership that we have or sense of ownership of a project, the more knowledge we have, and we all know information is power, but in off-the-plan sales, the sale can be lost or made in a very short amount of time based on how quickly, confidently the agent can communicate an answer and you know how well they know that building or how well they know those plans. And if they can speak to those plans with confidence, if they can say, right, this is what's great about it, this is why it's better than, you know, other projects we've seen, this is why it has a point of difference, these are the aspects that, that, that are attractive, this is the orientation, 
Um, if they can also come up with some sort of quick answers for objections, likely objections, and predict the objection before they're even going to come, then, you know, and that might be something, I mean, in, in any building there's going to be a weaker apartment. So if you can find a way to overcome those objections, then, you know, you're going to be able to create much more saleability, create rapport with the buyer, and they're not going to walk away thinking, oh, look, this is this just feels a little bit underprepared, underdone, because ultimately it's not just them having confidence in the, the builder, the developer, the architect, the, you know, and, and the overview of the project. It's, it's all encompassing and, it's, and their first, I guess in some ways, their, their first impression is with the agent. Yes, definitely. Yeah, um, and but the agent needs the resources from the developer. That's and the one and when they when they have a developer that doesn't have an intimacy with the project and relies solely on their architect, I think that's that's where things fall down as well, because you need to be able to get answers to a buyer really efficiently, and if you don't, you you can lose them to something else because you're, you're never in isolation. Yeah. yeah, I've definitely found that with our project. The agent would call me and we'd quickly be able to come up with an answer to a question the buyer had um, or I would get in touch with the architect and then aim to get back to them really quickly within minutes, hopefully, while they still got them in the building face-to-face talking to them. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I'm, look, I'm a firm believer in case studies, so I might use a case study, but we, we were selling an apartment off the plan where there was a, a purchaser who had a very specific need and she'd signed a reservation form. Um, so she had seven days to decide on whether or not she wanted to move forward with the, with the property. And she was using that time to go and speak to her accountant and her solicitor. Uh, but in that period, she rang me and she said to me, look, Sam, I've decided that I'm, it's maybe not quite the right one for me. And so I just said to her, look, what's your hesitation? And I think that's a good question. It's it's an open-ended question and it allows you to find out, you know, what they're thinking, what's holding them back and try and get some, some answers. She said that there was a um, particular, uh, and it's, it's amazing what people get, you know, fixated on, but there was a particular washing machine that she has that's from America that relies on having a gas point and also um, a gas, an outlet so that, um, you know, it, cause it, because it runs on gas. And I, still to this day, I haven't seen a particular dryer like that, but she told me the model number, what it is. Um, we researched it um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously sort of a commercial grade dryer, but she has an attachment to that dryer and it was going to cost, it was actually going to prohibit her from moving forward on a, on a purchase of a two-bedroom apartment that was, you know, roughly 14,000 square metre. So it was an important sale for us to make. I was able to then go to the developer who was able to quickly redesign the laundry component and she wanted some changes to the way the vanity was designed because she wanted some underbench cabinets that were going to give her more storage. Within 24 hours, we had a floor plan redesigned and we were able to put it in a presentation box um, with some imagery of the development and we were able to use the Uber service to get that delivered to her, hand-delivered to her later that day and she rang me within an hour and said, thank you so much, can't believe the effort you went to, I'm ready to sign the contract. 
And so it was just about, it's sometimes just about helping people. And I think sometimes, you know, the developer needs to show some degree of flexibility um, because that was a really important sale. Uh, and we landed the plane and sometimes it takes a while to land the plane. Um, and, and it's all about, you know, being able to react quickly um, and, and having the resources available and having, and having prepared things in advance so that you can quickly get back to people. Um, so, you know, that's where I found having joinery plans um, is, is really helpful. And I think if, the, if, if a developer can look at getting those things ready from the start, then you can deal with a lot of questions quickly because it's amazing the amount of detail people want to know about their kitchen or their bathroom uh, or their or their or the way their their robe is set out, their, you know their their built-in robe or their walk-in robe, um, because it's personal and it's probably less so if it's an investment. But if they're going to live in it, it's 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 really crucial. But just going back to some of those questions that you are considering when you're sitting there with a buyer or when you're doing your planning about the objections and uh, mm-hmm. some of the less desirable parts of a floor plan, for example. Yes. Would you like the developer to be able to have already identified some of those issues or would you identify them and go back to the developer and say, we think this, this and this um, needs to be addressed? Or is that something that you would do together? Um, It can be quite collaborative, uh, but generally speaking, you know, we're given a set of plans and we're, we're invited to make suggestions. We make suggestions and there's never a perfect world. Um, but if you can, you know, if you can tick seven out of ten boxes, then you, you're doing well. And if you can get a, you know, if you can get an, every every extra tick you can get, the better the outcome. Um, so, and in, in other situations, you sit down with the developer, they give you the plans um, and you work through it together. Um, but regardless, there's always a think tank session, which is then followed with a period of absorbing and everything is, I think, works best when it's, you know, methodical um, and you can you can do some proper analysis. To, get, to give you an example, it's not just floor plans. When we inherited um, the 13 Milton Grove project in Elwood, that property had an amazing piece of real estate in terms of a, a rooftop terrace and that, that's a huge asset you know it's a point of difference it's something that most buildings don't necessarily have it was a communal rooftop with bay views so that's i guess where it really hits um some sort of unique aspect and the agent that had been marketing it had not focused on that at all so we really you know we really turned everything upside down and said what's the most salient point of this project why would somebody look at us before they look at something else. How can we make this leap off the page? And, you know, we didn't have the benefit of a marketing company. Like with the number of, you know, larger projects we've done, there's been a marketing company involved and we were invited to some meetings with them. So we had to do it ourselves and we just went through and had a look at the marketing and said, right, let's change this. So we just changed the way it was presented and the way that it was um, signaled to the market we just changed the wording to see you on the terrace. And we sold that project in four months where in four months they hadn't even had one offer, not one offer on on any of the eight apartments. 
Yeah, look, I'm continually surprised at the lack of emotion that goes into a lot of off-the-plan marketing collateral. It's, yeah. There's just a lot of focus on function, but there's very little emotion. And I think there's a real opportunity out there for developers to target that emotion and get buyers engaged and excited about where they might be living. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that was, um, you know, that was a classic example. Um, and also, you know, we've, you know, that excitement is something that also you can build as a brand. Um, and it's something that may not happen instantaneously, but to, you know, to give you an example, um, you know, the, the, the best developers that we work with, are the ones that right through the settlement period, give their purchases little updates. Um, videos are great now. So, you know, we, we, you, you know, we're seeing um, purchases being sent emails with a video of, oh, here's your new home, um, here's the basement being poured. And it'll be, you know, done on a time lapse um, and you get these little snapshots along the way and it builds their excitement. Um, and then when it comes to delivery, um, you know, they're, they're talking to their friends about it and you're, the developer's building something that's a brand and, and then people will, you know, if they've got another project, people might buy into it, they might tell their friends about it um, and it sort of snowballs from there. So it's, it's those little details um, that I think are really important and in the marketing, it's, it's, it's the most successful marketing in, in any marketing, whether it's established or off the plan, in my opinion, that we've done is the one that does have emotional triggers because ultimately what are people buying? They're buying a vision. They're buying into a lifestyle, a location, a sense of where they want to be in terms of the imagery of, you know, whether it's luxury design, whether it's brand names and that that brand name might be the architect it might be an interior designer i think the most successful projects are the ones that have an interior designer involved um because i think that people you know like to have those layers to the story and that's part of the emotion yeah i agree yeah so so i agree with you i think people need to focus more on the emotion with wilton grove the other thing that we changed maybe getting a little bit off topic but you know, they had these tiles that were really personalised and we just said to the developer, look, you know, we respect that the designers picked these. Um, you know, we, we actually love everything the designers done except we think that there's two things in the kitchens that, you know, probably just a little bit too personalised and there's also there's a shelf there where it could be overhead storage. And ultimately, do people really use shelves? I mean, they collect dust, I think. Um, people like to have things concealed. It's okay to have a feature shelf, but, you know, I think, you know, if you're looking at certain ways of setting up the cabinetry, and so we changed, um, it might sound a little bit boring, but in this instance we changed a tiled splashback in the kitchen to a mirrored splashback. The apartments weren't large, so the mirrors were going to emphasise, uh, you know, they were going to enhance the overall appeal from, from a, um, in terms of overall perception of size, and then the mirror would also reflect light coming from the outdoor area through the living area. So it's all about, you know, building that that overall appeal for the buyer. Uh, and we did that, changed the renders, and all of a sudden we started selling property. And it was just changing those, you know, tiles in the kitchen and the bathroom. And we kept, we actually had the same finishes board. Um, we had the two options there and nobody went for the original option. Everybody went for the new option. 
Um, so, you know, that's something that I think there's always tweaking that can be done. And if you're not, if you're getting resistance or the sales aren't coming, then you need to have a look at the greater picture and say, right, is there something that we, that maybe we overlooked here? Or is there something that our buyer group is going to be, you know, drawn to that we, that we've maybe missed? Yeah. Well, you've definitely been involved in some pretty, interesting marketing activities that target the emotions yes <laughs> can you go through some of those for us uh yes i have i've been involved in some great ones we had jacques raymond um who's the famous uh chef he was uh, has been involved in some of melbourne's best restaurants um we did an, we had an event at the elwood house um display suite um that display suite was there for six months it was a beautiful sales center um it was it was a fully completed kitchen living area bathroom and a master bedroom and in between and you saw it justin but in between there was a large area which was fully tiled and it wasn't and it was a sales center but everything had this sort of feeling of grandeur and you know we had high ceilings and lots of light so it was a beautiful area to entertain so we we decided that we'd have a a a special event where Jacques would come and he'd talk about growing up in France. He'd talk about the food from his region and he would um, put on um, a number of dishes and actually use the Gaganau kitchen uh, <laughs> that, was, um, that was designed for the project. And we had that videoed. We had uh, champagne. It was, it was, um, we had the help of a media company. Uh, we had, um, you know, basically publicity in the age, a newspaper in the tabloids, in the local paper, um, and also through uh, the, um, you know, we invited people that had registered throughout the registra- um, registration of interest process. And uh, we were able to open it up. We had a limited capacity, but basically the first 150 people that replied, um, I think we had over, you know, well over 200 people that wanted to come to that event. And it was a really special um, afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and that got the community talking too. I mean, we had a display suite that was in a prominent area. So people, the people that weren't in there wanted to be in there and everybody was like, you know, it sparked the imagination. And, and all of a sudden people were like, wow, you know, this, this kitchen is beautiful. We, and, and next thing I know, we, you know, we sold a one-bedroom apartment straight away um, from somebody that attended that. And they'd been to the display before, but probably triggered a different emotion and all of a sudden they were ready to go, you know. Um, and, you know, we had other flow on from that. Um, we also had the the event was then the video went onto the website and that, that created activity. And, you know, I just recently sold one of the penthouse-level apartments in there where the lady said to me, I've watched every single video. And she said, I feel like I've sort of missed out on the fun, but it still gave this, incredible, this incredibility and, and this sense of emotion to her. Um, where she just wanted to be there, you know, she wanted to be part of that. And uh, what other what other events we've done? Um, we had a design night um, with Hecker Guthrie, the interior stylist, coming to talk to people about downsizing, throwing out the old orange couch, <laughs> the burnt orange nineteen seventies couch, modernising, you know, what they should get rid of. Downsizing is is a daunting process for a lot of people, so we wanted to think of things that were maybe going to give a comfort zone. Um, and that was one of the ones that, that we did, and that was another fantastic evening. It was catered by Dandelion, who was a um, you know one of the best restaurants in Elwood. 
so that was a really fun event. Um, we had another event uh, where there was a number of townhouses where each of the townhouses had a Porsche parked in the um, garage for the evening. Um, you know, there was beautiful catering. There was a band uh, and, you know, people were blown away by it um, and it just gets them talking. So it's, it, it is a great way to create um, emotion within a project. And then we generally have a speaking um, element to it as well. So whether it's the architect, whether it's, the, um, whether it's a designer, whether it's the developer, um, the agent, um, you know, sometimes there's two or three speakers. You keep it brief, but you make it relevant and people really enjoy it. And the important thing is to make sure that you don't go to Q&A on those evenings because um, it, you just you, you can't predict which questions are coming and you don't want to invite people in that forum because you, you don't want to lose a real buyer by somebody who's an audience member who starts asking you about, you know, planning restrictions in the area or, you know, um, you know whether the building's got some sort of amenity, which it turns out it doesn't. So <laughs> yeah, That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. So that's just something to, to think about if you're doing those sorts of evenings. So for um, I know there'll be developers listening going, yeah, that's fine, Sam, because, but that's all high-end development. What for a sort of more standard kind of development? Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Look, for a standard development, we've still had, um, you know, boardroom events uh, in our in our office boardroom. Um, it's a sizable room. Uh, we have a, a permanent um, display screen in our boardroom, which is set up with both speakers so we can entertain people with music. We can play a video of the project um, and that video might be a, a, an element of lifestyle, you know, with um, there might be, a, you know, in some cases you have a model of the building and models are great because obviously it, it allows people to orientate themselves in the building to see where in the apartment it is. They can get a sense of, you know, where the windows are, you know, what the building's constructed of, um, where the entrance is, and they can place themselves in that footprint. Um, so we've had great success with boardroom evenings and it doesn't need to be an overly expensive night, a few bottles of champagne, some, some you know, some chicken and cucumber sandwiches um, and, and, you know, and then making sure you've got all the marketing collateral. So you want to have great finishes boards. Um, you want to have um, the floor plates of the building so people can see where the apartments are. You want to make sure you've got a detailed price list with stamp duty reductions, um, you know, your square metres, uh, all the information that people might be likely to ask, the, the owner's corporation fees, um, and just having all of those elements prepared and then inviting um, the database or running a registrations of interest on the internet. Um, it can be supported by a web page. And to developers out there, um, you know, I would highly recommend, you know, that you do some element of print media because the print Media. If you do spend the money on the print media, I know I know the internet is an important um, tool. I know it's the most successful, uh, but if it's underpinned by print media, you allow yourself an opportunity to get editorial, and it depends on who your market is. But if you are targeting owner occupiers, it is phenomenal how many of the older demographic read the local paper or or a tabloid and will come as a result of those 
editorials and it, it's a great advertorial really because you can you can you know you have people um, who've bought into the project talking you can have people that have bought into past projects by the developer um, you know there's a combination of things you can have articles about other downsizes or something that gives credibility and builds the story and we have sold so many properties off the plan from people reading um, because we ask everybody how did you hear about it and sometimes yes they've seen it on the internet but that that article drew them to come along and maybe gave them a sense of um, appreciation for the for the project and so I think it's a really important tool um, and you know there's there's no doubt that there are there are you know certain things that you can do if you don't have a display suite there are certain things you can do but it's really important that you have oversized floor plans um, that you know give us perception of size that you have um, you know measurements where possible um, measurements of rooms where if if your bed bedrooms are big enough to fit a king size bed or a queen size bed then you, sh- you should actually show that on the floor plan you know don't hide from that um, give yourself an opportunity and also um, you know to have a features list um, some of the things that people maybe don't see and most importantly, you know, keep it really simple, but have information on the acoustics. I think people are always worried when they're buying off the plan, am I going to hear my neighbours? And yes, you can give them the acoustic report, but are they going to understand it? And yes, you have to have that available, but can you have an example of the acoustics? Whether it's a, a drawing, a diagram that says, right, there's, this amount of concrete, there's there's this amount of airspace, then there's um, soundproofing, you know, um, insulation, and maybe maybe so they can see it, or maybe have an example of it that's physical. Um, if it's double glazed windows, you know, show them what the aluminium looks like, what the what the window looks like. If you can get a sample of the window, um, you know, those sorts of things. Um, the you know the the more detail, the more chance you've got of getting somebody over the line. Yeah, and I suggest that you go and have a look at what agents are doing in the uh, local area in terms of how they promote and market off the plan. Yeah, great idea, great idea. And then see how you can do something a little bit better than than them, whether it's your display boards. Um, I know for us, we did oversized display boards that had images or the renders on there, the name of the project, and then the materials underneath so that buyers could connect the materials to the rooms I mean, that's just a little thing, but it was different to what everybody else was doing. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea, actually. Um, and that's something that can be done with floor plans too, um, you know, where you can connect um, with a little arrow that comes out of a bedroom and shows a robe or um, a kitchen that, you know, with an arrow that shows the appliances or the tapware or, um, you know, because it's all about trying to take the mystery away for buyers and buyers um, often you know, quite visual, uh, and so the more visuals you have, yeah, the better you are at connecting the dots. Yeah, well, we've definitely done a lot of videos and a lot of renders and things like that just to help buyers to be able to visualise. Yeah. And it's not just the buyers, it's also the agents because they need to be able to see it as well so they believe it and feel it and then that gets translate, translated to the buyers. Yeah, and that's where the quality of the render is so important. Um, and it can be the little things too, like, you know, not putting too many cars driving down a street because then it looks busy, um, you know, or, 
you know, how that render um, looks. And sometimes, and that's where you have to, you know, there's that's where there is a difference between there's always architectural flair, and I think it's really important that you build something that has architectural flair, but I think the best developments are the ones that are timeless. If they're too personalised, like if there's too strong a colour uh, palette on the external image of the building, you know, you can lose 50% of your market mm-hmm. straight away. So that's that's another aspect to look at is how those renders represent and whether or not the first impression is the right impression because often you don't get the second chance to make the first impression. Um, and I've seen really poor quality renders and I just think people, you know, you think about you think about it, you're saving yourself a few thousand dollars and costing yourself tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands yeah, of dollars. probably a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so why not get it right from the start? Yeah, and look, I don't think you need to be paying thousands of dollars for renders unless you're doing really top-end projects i think there's options now for developers to get renders done yep. fairly cost effectively through sites like upwork.com um, or 99designs.com those sites can help you get renders done fairly cost effectively these days yeah yeah absolutely well that's a good thing about technology um but i think it's really important if you can sell the dream with the, with the renders the outdoor areas are often so important um you know i think that buyers have really emphasis on you know, that sense of outdoor entertaining. Um, and if you can really give them a lot of detail, especially if you've got garden apartments, if you can give them a lot of detail on, you know, the landscaping and and really keeping things low maintenance, I think, is a, is, is of high appeal. And, and often that's in the external presentation of the building too. Um, so, you know, if you can present that imagery to people, then they're going to you know, have a far greater chance of, of getting emotional about it that we talked about before. So, And is there any truth to the rumour that you tried to get a marble statue of yourself put in the garden <laughs> renders of your latest project? <laughs> well, it's quite funny actually because there's no, I should say there's no truth in that, although a few people would believe <laughs> It wouldn't be hard for people to believe that. Um. <laughs> so can you tell us what are some of the common mistakes you see developers making when they come to market their properties or bring them to market? Uh, underprepared. You have to prepare for success. Um, so underprepared in the amount of information they've got, not having their own intimacy with the development, uh, floor plans, if they've made mistakes with the floor plans. For example, people want generous living space or they, you know, where possible they want the island bench that I talked about talked about before. If the outdoor area is not big enough, um, you know, if the uh, windows could have been bigger, um, you know, if, if, if there's, you know, some design flaw, um, you know, that is a huge mistake. Um, and rushing to market, that's another one, rushing to market. You need to have your collateral perfect, right from the start and don't be chasing constantly chasing you know behind the eight ball you know saying oh we've really got to get that finishes board right or you know you've got to go to market 100 percent prepared so that's probably one of the the biggest mistakes that a, a developer makes the other the other massive mistake and um and it's always it can be a tug of war between 
uh, developer and agent, but um, is going to market with pricing that's too high. Um, you can you can absolutely kill a project by going to market with ambitious pricing, where you could have had slightly ambitious pricing um, that you might have had more chance of getting more sales in a quicker amount of time, selling out the project in a much faster amount of time and having a great success that people talk about instead of the situation where you've got buyers that you probably had a great opportunity of selling to who you missed out on selling to because you were um, you were you, there was a misalignment between expectation their expectation the market and pricing whereby you end up on the market for a longer point of time where the market then sees you as something that hasn't been successful and then questions why you haven't sold and then it gets a lot harder to you know to bring people back into the fray where you're then having to you know really chase your tail the whole time and get people connected and potentially reduce your prices and you might have to reduce your prices more than had you have gone to market at a fair and reasonable level at the start. And, you know, so that it's all about creating momentum and, in my opinion, to be building at the right level, at the right point, very early and you can't be um, reactive. You have to be proactive and there's a difference. So if you're not getting a sense of things very early on in the campaign, if you're not getting the inquiries coming through the door, um, you know, because to give you an idea statistically from what I understand and in the projects I've been involved in, 100 leads can translate to anywhere between, you know, one and two sales. So you've got to generate a lot of leads um, in order to, you know, produce that right buyer. And if you're not getting a significant number of leads, then there's a problem. There's a, there's, a, there's a problem either in the marketing, in the pricing, or the way it's been presented to, to the market, um, and you know, and, and also it might be the right that you've got the wrong team, um, in you know the, the wrong selling team. But there's going to be a blockage there somewhere that that can be resolved. Had it have been right from the outset, or had you been willing to make a change in say the two to three week period rather than waiting six weeks then the outcomes are likely to be, you know, much much um, greater outcomes in my opinion. And so is that the responsibility of the agent to go back to the developer or should the developer also be taking responsibility for the project and checking in with the agent and saying, what's the market feedback? Yeah, well, um, a, good, a good agent should be proactive. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, and also... Depending on the scale of the project, you should be having regular meetings. Um, you know, obviously, the, the more often you can meet as a team to assess things, um, even if it's a 15, half an hour meeting, to say, right, do we need to change anything? What's the reaction? What's the price point? Um, you know, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that we've had people complain about most often is that they don't get feedback from the agent and they just wonder why they're not selling anything. So... We're extremely, we're always on the front foot to say, right, we need to make some adjustments. Those adjustments um, can be varied and, uh, and, there's, and there's certain things that create results. So I, I think it's, but it, it's, it's, it's a responsibility on both parts because 
in some cases, the developer can be stubborn. And if the developer isn't accepting of the feedback or willing to listen or willing to, you know, make some changes um, as a team, then it's a lot harder for the agent. And there's also that sense of an agent needs motivation and if and if and they want to see activity i mean ultimately they're not they're incentivized to sell the property in the fastest amount of time for the most amount of money you know it doesn't make any sense for them to say developer bring the price down just to make it easier for them there's 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 reasons for it and if it's justified and if the marketing's right if everything else, if all the other components are right, then then I think it need those sorts of things need to be addressed um, because there can be a variation. You know, your square meter rates might be a thousand dollars out, but that a thousand dollars in a square meter rate, some you know, over the success of the project may not may not, not may not make a big difference. But if you you know if you're selling in a short amount of time. You know, you can get building in a quicker amount of time. You can get on your next project in the in the in a shorter amount of time, and it's more successful for everybody. Um, and so, you know, these are the these are the things that really need to be analysed um, and 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 carefully thought about and considered, and you know, and and as I said before, justified. Yeah. So, for developers out there that are thinking about choosing a sales agent yeah what kind of questions should they be asking or how should they be assessing their their potential agent yeah so i think they should ask um questions about you know who's going to be involved in the project um because you want to have consistency between in the communication with buyers so obviously you know asking about the experience of the agent um you know now experience experience is not always Essential. Um, when when we started uh, some of our projects, you know, my experience was mostly in established property. I mean, I was very well established in established property, but um, but I probably had less experience with off the plan. But but I made sure that I, you know, owned it, learnt it. I made sure that I went sat down with the developer at every point and turn um, to have a proper overview of that building um, more than once. And uh, and right up to launch, and then you go back through it all again. Um, and you know you, the repetition is really really important. But I, I think you you want to be asking you know what strategies have they got involved, what experience do they have, who is involved. Um, you know, get a sense of of how quickly they get back to you with things. Um, maybe maybe ask them a few questions. You know, over a period of a few weeks. See what sort of information you get back. See how quickly you get it back, because ultimately, that's going to give you some sort of an indication as to how quickly they're going to respond to buyers. Because I, in my, in my opinion, in off the plan sales, you need to be always responding, and in any sale, you need to respond to people ideally within a few hours of their inquiry. Um, so in the shortest amount of time. And certainly, always within 24 hours. And you know, I think it's a good. The, the best um, way to respond to people is to e- email them back, but also phone them if they provide a phone number. And to also ask the developer about how they maintain their database, how they do their, how they plan to do um, an EDM, how how they're going to present the project, what involvement they're going to have in marketing. 
um, and try and get some sort of an idea of, of you know, of, of how important it is to them. Um, because, you know, that, as I said before, that word ownership, if, if you get that sense that they're really, they've really bought into it, they're passionate about the project, um, and, you know, if they do have a little bit of experience with, with selling off the plan, um, then, you know, it's going to put you in really good stead to get great results. You know, I really think it's important to have a knowledge of particular, you know, area. You know, I think that there's a lot to be said in, in off-the-plan sales um, for, you know, understanding or getting to know that, that particular area, what's in, why people are gravitating towards it, why, why, the pe- why it's a, an exciting area to buy into, you know, what's the long-term vision for that area, where's it heading, what's the growth been, you know, all those sorts of things. So you, you just want to pick an agent that's got, you know, has a, a body of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that, you know, you've personally felt is important? I definitely think having that track record and experience of doing off-the-plan sales. Yeah. Because there is a difference between selling existing stock. Definitely, and yeah. off-the-plan stock. Yeah. Which I wanted to ask you about. Yes. So what would you say is the big difference between the two types of sales? Look, there's a skill set that's in both. And the, sk- the skill set that's in both is obviously communication um, speed and negotiation, but on top of that, the skill set that I see that is across both um, is is really being able to ask the right questions of the buyer. I think that exists in established and off the plan because you need to know qualifying questions, and the difference with off the plan is that is sometimes is speed. So with established stock, if it's an auction campaign, well. You're kind of bubbling that buyer along for a period of time, and generally you're wanting them to come to the auction and put their hand up in four weeks. So you're massaging their interest over, you know, probably a little bit more softly. Off the plan, the you know the the best selling process is if you can, you know, have an agent that understands that they need to be able to create the motivators to keep people engaged and ready to act. And there's a little bit of, there's some pressure points in there. Um, And those pressure points are things like, for example, you know, we we introduced a registration system to a couple of our developments where people had, uh, you know, a five-day or a seven-day reservation period. We often went the five days so that we weren't losing the weekend. But it allowed us an opportunity to keep talking to that person and at least to have them buy in. So if they weren't ready to sign a contract, at least we were able to get them on the hook and they were paid a reservation fee which was refundable. But in most cases, we were able to answer any objections. Um, And I think also that agent needs to be able to, and this is really important, where possible get face-to-face with the buyer. You know, you need them to see the finishes. You need them to walk into the display suite. You need them to walk into your office and have a look at the boardroom um, collateral. You need them to have a look at the marketing stuff and you need to be able to then talk to them about the benefits of the building and not just sit behind and rely on email activity because it's great to send all this stuff out by soft copy but, you know, they get bogged down in it. They don't understand it. You know, your agent needs to be able to, be able to demonstrate what a room's going to look like, a room size, a ceiling height, 
um, to talk to them about the, the tapware to, to, you know, give them an understanding that, that if the bathroom's tiled to the ceiling, that that's an extra level of opulence, that if, it, if it's heated bathroom floors, you know, to go through all of those details and, and to see that person face-to-face to see how they're reacting to it because it's very much in any sales, body language is really important. And, you know, you're not going to get that if you're just on the phone and relying on sending out an email that says, here's the floor plates, good luck, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer. Like, you know, you've got to follow up. Did you have a look at that? Um, would you like to come into the office? Um, you know, maybe you have inspection times. Um, when we were at the display suite, you know, we had, we made it easy for people to come in there. You know, we had um, hour-long inspections. We, we um, you know, we've, we've done different things to keep sales. Um, you know, we, when we when we launch projects, we've created that level of um, mystique where we don't give any information at first and, and we, then we... You know, we, we booked one-on-one appointments in the display suite for the first 50 most qualified buyers. You know, like what, whatever it is, you need to be able to have strategic selling tools that help you get from, you know, point A to point of sale. And, you know, that takes creativity at some point. Um, and, and, it, and it means that, you know, you need an agent that you think is not just an agent that has a negotiation ability but also has some creativity involved that's going to be able to make suggestions along the way collaboratively, like we talked about before, because there's a lot of experienced developers, there's a lot of great marketing teams, but you're dealing with human emotion and you're dealing with relationships. And if you, and if that buyer um, feels as though the agent you know, has integrity, that the project has integrity, then the way that they're going to engage is completely different. Yeah, and I would suggest also that to developers out there who are thinking, oh, that's all fine for big developments or we don't need to worry about that because the market's thriving, Yes, I would say you need to develop some good habits during the good times because when things tighten up, then you've got all these tools available to you that you can start to use to get your sales going again if you need to. You, you can't rest on your laurels. You can't just rely on a thriving market, as you said. And the better equipped you are um, in the good times, the, better, the even better you'll be in the harder times um, because your project, um, there's certain certain develop, developments or developers that their product sells first in any market. And uh, there's, there's a reason for that, and there's a lot of hard work in it, I think. Um, so once again, it's, it's about success to market. And, you, you know, if you can come, if you can go straight out to market with everything ready and prepared um, and, you know, and you've, you've thought ahead in how to, t- to tackle the objections, then I reckon you've got a really good chance of, of being successful. All right, Sammy, so have you got one top tip that you would provide for developers? Uh, yes, yep, select me as your agent. <laughs> <laughs> what about for those not living in the Bayside region of Melbourne, Sammy? Okay, in fairness, all right. Um, yeah, no, in, um, in terms of a top tip, uh, my top tip would be to cater to your market and not dictate to your market. So what do I mean by that? I mean, 
develop to the needs of that area. So assess what people want if, and make an assessment on what age group's going to be buying it and then also tailor that to price point. So if you are you know, building larger apartments, then you want to be in an area that's going to cater for you know, maybe some more affluent people um, and pricing. If you're going for very small apartments, then perhaps you want to be on a main road where they're a cheaper price point and you're going to be pitching to investors. Um, so, you know, if, if you're going for downsizes, then don't put too many stairs in your property. Um, you know, simple things like that. But you need to work out, you know, right from the very start, who am I selling to? And make sure you get that right. Um, and and then, you know, from there, the rest will follow with the, with the attention to detail that we talked about before. Great. Well, thanks, Sammy. Where can people find out more about you or about Chisholm and Gaiman if they're interested? Uh, yes, Justin, um, lots of options. They can contact me, sam at chismgaiman.com.au, which is uh, sam at c-h-i-s-h-o-l-m-g-a-m-o-n.com.au. They can also reach us at www.chismgaiman.com.au. And we have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account. Uh, we run our own blog, uh, and you can find us in, in all of those um, social media forums. Uh, our office number, uh, main office number is 95311245. And tell me, what's it like walking into the office, seeing your surname up on the uh, sign? Oh, that always gives me a smile, yeah. <laughs> must be good as a young agent coming in to work at a place that already had your name on it. Yes, yes, it's uh, been a great advantage um, because even when I wasn't the owner, people thought I was the owner. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> They're like, wow, you're very successful, very young. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's been great. It's been great watching the development of the brand. Um, we have, we're a four-office network at the moment, so... Uh, offices in Port Melbourne, Elwood, Blackrock and Mount Martha. Um, we've got Bayside covered as our uh, catch, catch cry. And, um, and look, we've got a really great personal team, whether it's commercial, residential, buying or selling or renting. Well, Sammy, thanks very much for being on the Property Developer Podcast. Great. Thanks, Justin. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sam Gaiman, giving us an agent's perspective on selling off the plan. I think Sam shared some good insight on what agents need from you to be able to sell effectively and some great ideas on marketing tactics you can try on your next project. I love some of the big ideas like having a famous chef prepare a meal in your display kitchen. I know that might be out of reach for some of you, but it should still provide some inspiration on ways to think. Here are three points that I took out of our conversation. One, what helpful events can you run to help buyers engage with your project and make a buying decision? Sam mentioned how they ran sessions with an interior designer on choosing furniture for your new apartment. They also had events with architects where they discussed their design. They don't necessarily need to be flash or expensive, like having a famous chef come and cook, but helpful for your potential buyers. These type of events are great for creating an emotional connection between your project and prospective buyers and only require a bit of thinking and planning to get off the ground. And any keen agent would surely want to help out with these events. Two, 
ask your agent or check with other agents for ideas on what buyers might like to have included with their property. Sam mentioned things like gas points on balconies or taps for outdoor spaces. These little one percenters can help you stand out from other places that buyers are looking at. And as a developer, you can easily overlook them. Three, help your agent get excited about the project. Get them involved as early as you can. Provide them with good information and materials so they can get a handle on the project and basically help make their job as easy as possible. Check in with the agent regularly and ask for feedback about what's working and what may need tweaking. Your relationship with the selling agent is one of the most important for the success of your project. A past guest on the show, Son Hock Kao, used to provide a folder to their agent with all the key selling points they wanted promoted, and they sold their product very quickly. That's it for this episode. Look out for the next show where I'll be speaking with a finance broker about obtaining project finance. That should be really good. As always, head over to iTunes and leave a rating or check out propertydeveloperpodcast.com and leave a comment under each show's page. Until next time, may all your developments be a success. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.